خمرة تيقة جوبة جوبة was all everyone's car especially the young ones hyping it up in the car being proud about it and Barwar the way that George Khoshaba had produced Barwar till today I have girls since they were 14 listening to it till today Hi friends and welcome to the Assyrian Podcast. It is so good to be here with you. I am thrilled about today's episode. I was able to spend time with the Queen of Assyria, Linda George. And of course, as an Assyrian, we've all heard that name. We know Linda, we've seen her at the weddings, at the conventions, at the parties, and she's consistently released new albums. And in this episode, I was able to dive deep and get to know Linda on a different level. Get to know how she got to where she's at what her daily life is like, and what other thoughts she might have for Assyrians. I'm hoping that Linda will be a regular, and I'm also so thankful that Linda let us use her music on the podcast intro. Here's what I know. She loves being an Assyrian. She's proud of who she is. She's worked incredibly hard, and people like Linda are the kinds of people that we ought to be celebrating, and I think you're going to catch a feel for that as you listen to this interview. So enjoy. But first, if you know anybody that you want to be on the Assyrian Podcast, please reach out to me. The email is assyrianpodcast at gmail.com. Shoot me an email and we can schedule a way for them to be interviewed. Maybe you'll be the one interviewing them, or maybe you should be on the Assyrian Podcast. I'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe and review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to this podcast. I'd love your feedback. Thanks for telling the world. And now, enjoy this interview with the amazing Linda George. I want to start with your story. And my understanding, if my research is correct, you got your big break when you were five years old. Yeah, I mean, it happened. It was um, on a Christmas um, special program on a national uh, Iraqi television. And I started singing Pagrag Watmach which is one of the finest, most precious hymns written hundreds of years ago. And uh, I started chanting it in church, and they said, we found a soloist. And then that was my big break. And you were I, five years old. Five, yeah. I and have pictures of it. who heard you? And it, I was in church. It was St. Mary. And I, I, of course, my mom, I was an advanced student. Even at the age of five, I came after 10, 11 years of my siblings were born. So I was so bored at home, and my mom would just next door neighbor she's like oh she's so you know bored at home and the kids my children are older she wants to go to school and I was a bit taller than my sisters you know for my age so they put me in school first grade at the age of five and she said you know what I'm going to give it a shot even for uh, summer school I'll put her in, in church school and I started reading it was it was phenomenal I was a smart kid I mean and then um, started singing. By Christmas, I was ready to do the Christmas show. It w- wasn't there like a, a priest who... Yes, of course, God rest his soul, Kashayonan, mm. um, um, so I was um, very blessed. And of course, there's Kasha uh, Osi. He was a deacon at that time. And then, of course, all of my, the deacons in Motmariams and, and, you know, the new Baghdad, I would call it, in area. And I was very blessed, actually, it's a it's a gift given from above. So you're in the church, five years old. They hear you, and then next thing you know, it's being played in uh, Baghdad, right? Yes, Christmas that that winter. Yes, I was um, front, and I was the sh- youngest out of all my choir 
and you can see the picture there. Even my mom put me a little high heels and a little hoof on my hair just to look <laughs> a little bit bigger than five. But I, um, I was very confident. And even Shamim Rassam, she was the Oprah Winfrey back mm-hmm. in the days. She came up to me and she said, are you scared? I looked up to her and she was so tall. I'm like, no, I sing for thousands of people in church. Oh, so I was, wow. <laughs> so I was very confident. And she said, do you like, and these are three questions she asked me and I still remember them. She said, do you like the microphone to be, you know, hung on your, around your neck area or you want to, it's up to you, your call. Third, she said, um, third question was like, do you want water? I said, no, uh, we don't drink water before the mass, so I'm used to it. Oh my goodness. So, so you got your training in the church. Absolutely. Disciplines is, is really, is my, uh, is in my core. And, and that's happened for a lot of singers in terms of the church being the place where they gained, they got their first shot or they were able to practice. Absolutely. And, yeah. Absolutely. The but choir. The um, choir, all these mega stars and from Whitney, Mariah, and many others. Um, mm-hmm. But in the end of the day, after 30 some years, you know, if you, I look back, I still appreciate Jesus more than anything in my life. So I never drifted away from mm-hmm. it. I mean, we all have, we're not flawless. Yeah. But Jesus well, is my core and my rock. Yeah. And, and one of the things I've seen, at least, and we'll get to this, but I do sense you're always questioning and you're, and you're pushing to experience. Mm-hmm. And, we'll, and we'll get to that in terms of the record. But take us to 1979. Linda George is 14 years old. She's at a New Year's party. If I got this story correct. It's true. And they say, Linda, we need to hear you sing. Yeah, it was my uncle, Isaac Toma, the president of Assyrian National Foundation um, in of Chicago. Mm-hmm. So I was wearing my dress of a 14-year-old, nothing fancy. So wait, you're in ninth grade? So you the were ninth. new to the country. N- yes, of you course, new the same, to- same year. So it was funny that I... Um, I got up with such confidence. <laughs> <laughs> and here is Sargon Gabriel, the Imperator, and it's Izimra Turaya. And here I am. I got up in heartbeat band, the most prime bands of all times. Mm-hmm. And um, an Ashur Baba, the biggest producers, one of the biggest producers in, in the history. Did you know these people no, were in I the room? No, I did not. No, okay. I just got up with 1,000, 1,500 people, big room of, of, of 1,500 people attending for a New Year's party. And then my mom, of course, gave me the green light because it was my uncle involved and he was a father figure. Mm. So I got up and wearing some like a dress. Like I said, I still have pictures. I was like, oh, my God, you know. Yeah. But then um, I did not look like an artist. And I got up and I, what would I sing? And I'm like, okay, well, I wanted to sing Lepane uh, Shapira, one of those folkloric songs that belongs to Sargon Gabriel. So I looked at Asher Baba. I said, okay, well, I need to sing it in, you know, I don't know, the scales. I did. I was not aware of scales. And he's like, okay. And I said, you know, I want to I wanna do mawal. Mawal is like that awaz, they call it in Persian, you know, like, uh, like that, you, the beginning of the song, like the Al-Qush and Barwar uh-huh. with that lengthy kind of it's a cappella. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes. It's a cappella. Yeah. And Ashababa looked at me like then he told me that after so many years. It's like <laughs> Yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I started singing and then everybody was like in an awe. Okay, this girl, okay, wow. She's came from Iraq and Baghdad and and um I guess that was it. And then afterwards Sargon Gabriel started you know, following me and talking to my uncle. My parents were so against so it. So when he heard that voice, 
people knew. People in that room said there's something going on here. Yes, yes. Like, you know, I mean, they they didn't even have to look at me, whether I was a pretty girl or not. It was the voice. Mm -hmm. Zamara has to have a voice. That range, that power, it's a presence that you have to have with your voice and your vocal cords. So, I mean, I had it when I was at the age of five, and I then the age of 14, being up on stage and all that, I was very blessed. Mm-hmm. And then I just looked and everybody was having fun and they had the biggest smile at the beginning and people are like in an awe. They're like, okay. But then afterwards they're like, oh my God, yeah. They start enjoying it and it was a dance song and that was it, I guess, for me. I love that story. It speaks volumes of what's capable within our Assyrian community too because mm-hmm. you know so many of us go to these events and we forget. There's amazing things happening here. And on any of those events, uh, for for someone to honor you mm-hmm. as a 14-year-old mm-hmm. and to put you in that position. Absolutely. And now here we are, you know, 30 years later, able to talk about your career, able to talk about what you've done um, is super exciting. And then when you were 16, Sergon Gabriel was like, let's do a duet. Well, the age of 15, we started recording Dalale. And the Dalale story, I want to tell everyone and inform all of these people because we did not have social media to inform them who wrote mm-hmm. it and who composed the melody. Yeah. So my mom was not too keen with me for me being a singer because she wanted me to be a doctor and my dad was so against it. But I would perform here and there for the um, Assyrian students in high school mm-hmm. parties. And I was like, oh, can I sing for at least half hour? And then my mom was like, yeah, it's fine. You know, they're your, the kids in So your mom's school. like the classic Assyrian mother who... Yes, yes, of course. You need to go to school and yeah. Absolutely, especially when I'm an advanced student and I'm so like, you know, smart about it. So... um Here's the thing, like she said, okay, you can sing a duet song, not a love song. Of course, I'm young. I mean, you're looking at someone who's in his prime. Sargon was, Gabriel was like a superstar, still is, of course, but the day is like, wow, you know, Mm -hmm. I was in an awe when he liked me and he smiled at me. Mm -hmm. But um, so my mom said, I choose a song for you. You can do a duet with him. And, um, And the song was based on a true story or a myth. I'm not really certain, but it's almost a true story. And I loved it. I said, this is great. This is going to be something that people will remember. And Chaldeans do love the song. They love the story. Zacho and I, of course, and Zacho. Siri and I love it. So everyone, they think that they're entitled to the story Mm -hmm. and they belong to it. Mm. But however, my mom and I had a major disagreement and we had a dispute about it. And she said, this is the hawas, this is the, you know, the the music to it. And I was like, I don't like it. She's like, well, you cannot change it. I was like, no, I can change it. She said, no, you really can't. I'm like, I can change it. I'm not changing the lyrics. We can, we will modify them from that uh, Tura accent. Okay, for those of us that might not know, what does it mean? And then what's, what's the story that's connected to it? If you can sum that up. It's hard to sum it okay, up, but good, it's, it's, yeah. it's, um, it's a story about Chemiano, um, the father-in-law, saw a vision. They had an issue um, not being able to build the bridge. It would always fall apart. And then Chemiano saw a vision. Apparently, uh, I believe from what my mom told me, got rest her soul, that he saw a vision of Malacha. An angel told him that he has to put uh, a, a nishma, which is almost like a, a spirit, uh, in that, in the little... Um, it's, it's a room where mm-hmm. they're going to be able to build the bridge. Then the bridge will maintain because they needed the bridge. 
Zaho. It was a big, um, it's a it's a river. It's it's almost semi river yeah. from Teklat. So they needed for them to oh, to I be see. able to move from the side A to side B. They were planning for the dog to go and be captured in that room. Unfortunately, the dog saw a, a bird, and then he just smelled it a shladda, and then um, he went and. Um, and escaped, just got distracted yeah. and escaped, and then Dalale was captured. And you know, um, it, they say, I mean, it's a myth, oh, it's a story. Okay. So, so it's about a person. Then. It's about it's a Dalale ila kelted Chimiana, and it's a it's a it's a conversation. It's a song is based on a conversation between Chimiana, the father-in-law, and Dalale herself. Beautiful lyrics, if people would understand it. Mm-hmm. But however, somewhat, I don't know what you can sure. feel, but we kind of modify it for everyone to relate to it. Mm-hmm. However, um, my mom was not, was against for me to change the music to it, but I did. I composed a new melody and it became the biggest hit that to the point, it went so far that all buses in Lebanon, when Assyrians would be migrating to Lebanon, they would play Dalala even Mushilman at Lebanon. So it was amazing. And then um, after 30 some years, we're still now re- producing it in Sargon Gabriel's album mm-hmm. with a little touch of changes. I made a little bit, uh, which I sing it on stage, but uh, the song still is a hit. And that was it for me. Even and though on that album, we've done a little duet, very soft love duet like Sayyid Ghazala. Your mom loosened up a little bit. She did because she didn't see like oh <laughs> She was like she thought you were too you're too young you're underage and the man is mature which is true like mm-hmm. I cannot sing something that was above my age. Sure. It doesn't look good. It doesn't sound right because if you listen to me I was a child singing. Mm-hmm. If you listen to my voice it was not mature. Mm-hmm. Like I was I'm like oh my god <laughs> you know I don't laugh I sang so tuned but I was like. I I I I would I sounded like a child and I if I listen to it every day I'm like oh my yeah I was you know I mean and I I'm blessed that I've composed the melody and it went into everybody's core actually it went it went straight to the soul and they felt it everyone from every tribe from every country they love the song till today and Sargon Gabriel was a mentor has been a mentor I love him my I bow to him. He's my mentor. I will never forget the $50 that he gave me each gig. That would put a daily bread on and more for my mom who became a widow shortly after I started singing. Hmm. So um, I, I love him and I respect him. The whole entire family, Shamiran. They're such great people. So who's Linda George if Sargon Gabriel doesn't well, I'll be quite honest. I mean, he admits it himself. He said, I discovered her, but she had mm-hmm. talents and yeah. she worked hard on herself. Yeah. So I would have been discovered. I would have been the same, but I think I would have been a different singer without the Dalale. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of, that, he was my wings and, mm-hmm. and, you know, spread them ultimate destinations. And then, but I know how to maintain, how I maintained my, um, because shortly after about a year or so, I learned to be solo without him. And he wanted me to be that way, I'm sure. And I think that's something that anyone who's out there, anybody who's an aspiring artist or whatever, if they can get that helping hand, it's like, you're right. You had your voice, you had your gift, your talent that God gave you that you were born with. But, you know, having that person who just gave you a little bit of a boost. Yeah, of course. And that's 
that's uh, awesome. Other people who for you have been huge in terms of helping you to move forward in your career and continue to grow. Um, I would say there are two people that helped me throughout so many decades and nonstop. I mean, back from the 80s was Asher Baba, who's our biggest producer mm-hmm. um, from the 80s, 70s, actually, till now. And then um, Shimon Kana, the writer that wrote most of my hits till today. And then Alamanakh Lashamiran, God rest her soul. She was such a mother figure to me. She loved me. You know, many Assyrians don't know about her. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, many of Assyrians. No, of course, because she had a very um, short history in the in the American um, in America, I would say, and in the diaspora. So, if people had started in Iran, it was kind of hard for us to know because we were, you know, raised in here. Some of us born in here. So we only knew Shamiran for a short period of time till she had passed away. She was very, um, I looked up to her. She was a strong woman and she was very, um, she knew what she was doing, very focused. And I love that. I love people who are focused, very alert, sober. And I always say to my friends, if you don't have fun when you're sober, then don't have fun at all. And she was one of those people. Like I loved her. And, um, uh, other than that, some artists didn't really help me, like some female artists, like they were not, but for me, it didn't affect me because I said, okay, you know, whether someone would support me or not support me, I had the voice, I had the talent, and all I needed is a small break or a big break from Sargon Gabriel. Yeah. And and that's it. I, I worked hard, but Sargon Gabriel has been approached by many, many, mm-hmm. you know, female artists or other, he said, I cannot do what I've done for Linda George. Linda George had it. And she worked, she had a voice, she had that charisma. Mm-hmm. And well, and that's the other thing about you, Linda, that I really want to dig into is it's apparent you love the work. Mm-hmm. It's not like you fell into this and the whole time you were thinking, oh, I really wish I just would have gone to medical school like mm-hmm. I wanted to, or I wish I could go do, if tomorrow you realized oh, I can't gain any sustainability or financial gain from any of this. You'd be at home in your studio figuring out how to write the next song. Mm-hmm. How, tell us about that. I see many people right now, whether they want to be singer, artist, or whatever, they want to get into this limelight. They don't do it for the passion, for what they believe or the talents they have, or they don't even have talents. They just want to be, oh, I want to be famous like Linda George. I want to be a 1K. I want to travel. This didn't happen overnight. This happened. It's just the hardest career. You know why? Because Assyrians do not have any record label. And it's difficult. Like, I mean, if you look at my career, 20th album, right? Every other 30 some years. So every other year or every two years, I've been producing album from my own pocket. We had some sponsorship here and there, but it's mostly me. So it's it's a the most difficult market in the world. We are the most less paid artist and the most that we endure on stage. Mm-hmm. That we sing for hours, which yeah. is a crime mm-hmm. against the vocal vocal cords. Really seriously. Right, because our events are like four-hour events. Yeah, that's like three hours, let's say. Three hours, I'm like, I'm standing up, okay. And then our songs are not like, uh, it's not like an opera. There's a major gap of music. Then you sing a part. It's it's opposite. It's like, you know, 
a little zona comes in just to hype up the crowd and that's it. it but you know? then you're going back to the vocal cords. Absolutely, and absolutely. No singer can sing more than the Assyrian singer. An actual, you, if you go to everyone, they walk in Saat Khadisar, uh, 11 o'clock, or they walk in 12 and midnight, one o'clock, they're gone. And the sad part is, you know, which I'm not, you know, I love my fans, but most people, they always like, you know, try to be negative about us. Why is it starting at 10? But what party would start at 8? You know, mm-hmm. 8 o'clock till 2 or 1.30. That's, that's suicidal. Like my voice is not for this party only. It's for my career. Oh my goodness. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. So like right now, I mean, Australia, I did 25th, 26th. I sang, like I was counting, it was like three hours here. And then you're on a flight at 6 a.m., no sleep. You get in Melbourne and there's sold out show again. And I'm like, oh my God. But it, it's... And that's what, to me, it reveals like the value of who Linda George is and what you mean to our community. You know, the Beatles broke up. Mm. Right. We never got to hear the Beatles after like 25 years down the line. We didn't get to hear what they would have come up with, what they would have done. Very true. Somehow you kept it together. Thinking back to when you're 14 and then 16 and you start with your duet and you're in these circles and anybody who does any research on you, we see like you dabble here and you dabble there because you're trying to mix folk with pop. Mm -hmm. It's hard. So there's this genres that, you know, you're finding your way through, not to mention you move from one country to another country. Mm -hmm. Very true. It's a culture shock and it's um, it's difficult because listening to uh, Whitney Houston and I know my my friends love her and Mariah Carey. I was like, what do I have to create to keep these, you know, the kids Mm -hmm. like in in love with the Caesarean music and Mm -hmm. my first you know, creation. Of course, I'm a composer myself, and I created a lot of beautiful numbers um, since the age of 14 till now. Then I thought, okay, these are classical, like Kursiat Melkuta, Sanjero, composed melodies, and then Nishrat Alto. I said, I got to do something. In the beginning of the 90s, I felt down, like telling myself, we got to do something mm-hmm. because the kids are going to get distracted, and there's a lot of female vocalists out there, so we got to do something to keep them within the Assyrian market. And I did. Khamratika. Khamratika. Asha Bandeleros one time, he said, um, he's an amazing producer, of course. He's my current producer right now, my right arm. And, you know, I respect him and love him dearly. And at that time, he said, I had a friend who was Latino and she's sitting in her car. She's like, come listen to this artist. So I was thinking that she's going to bring me somebody, you know, from the Latin world or here you go, Khamratika, Linda George. He's like, I looked at I was like, I know this chick. <laughs> like, I know this singer. So it's, it's an honor just to have my music so widely listened, globally listened. Mm-hmm. And it's it's amazing. It's a blessing. It is. It's, it's been a huge blessing to the Assyrian community. And I know there's been times throughout your career where you've said, we've got to go beyond the Assyrian walls. What could we do to spread our wings? Tell me a little bit about that that you feel comfortable sharing in terms of how far were you able to push and then what was the Assyrian community like? Of course. Um, I mean, first thing that we can, like Kumakhwara, I told the artist Uraham Lazar, he's one of the phenomenal writers, and I said, we got to say, like, I got to write them. Yeah, it's going to be a hit. And it, it's been a hit since early 90s. And then in, in Khamratika album, uh, George Khoshaba, the arranger, he said, can I bring this guy? But are you going to be mad at me? He was so frightened. He was so reluctant and frightened. 
And here I'm looking, I was like, what do you want to do? Like, we have a lot of Berwer and we're mixing these new sounds of technology with some songs like Zrili. And these are, they sound folk. Mm-hmm. And these are like songs that I've created. And it's like, I'm hoping that you don't mind. We're going to bring a rapper. I'm like, oh, sure. And he was like, really? And he was like, did you have nervous sorry to but did were you nervous no, of like no. okay what are people going to say because in our community this is something we wrestle with we want to preserve our assyrian identity and culture and yet there is this fear of like oh we're just becoming like everyone else and so for you as a musician artist i mean i was i was kind of like as i said i was reluctant but then i thought it was like this is awesome we're bringing belem belem we're kind of we're kind of mixing belem belem into like the Chobia from the 80s that mm-hmm. Asher had produced, bringing it into the production of a younger guy, totally, you know, uh, two generations down. And then he said, are you, are you like, are you excited about this? I said, actually, I'm very excited. And we created a new song, a new song from a writer um, that he didn't think that his song was going to be like such a hit. And everyone from Detroit, um, Europe, Khamratika, Chappe Chappe was all everyone's car, especially the young ones hyping it up in the car, being proud about it. And Barwar, the way that George Khoshaba had produced Barwar. Till today, I have girls since they were 14 listening to it till today. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. And and I feel so proud because every album I produced, it had its own identity of music, whether it was authentic, whether it was folk, whether it was real, whether there's, it was there's life. There's a voice there. Absolutely. There is um, a voice and there's also, I would say, a face to each and every album. It has something to do with me. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. Like it's it's a different, you know, it's like United States of America has different stamps. You know, stamps are different mm-hmm. every every year, every month. So I believe all my albums are like my children. This is my twentieth child, mm-hmm. and um, I love it. That's amazing. <laughs> that that in and of itself, the twenty albums, and uh, tell us about kind of related to all of your albums and all the work that you've done. Tell us about preserving our Syrian ethnicity and mm-hmm. identity. And the role your music has played, or at least the role you've seen your music play in terms of creating creating this music. Since I came here, I never liked to live here. I wanted to be part of Atra, Bitmahran. Mm-hmm. Like as a child, I don't know why. And uh, when I went back the first time to 2001, and I came and we had uh, an open rally. I said, we are like the oil and water that we never mix here. And when you go back, you feel the magnetism. Mm-hmm. And I felt it first time going back to Athra 2001. But since I've started producing songs, since my first album, Sankhiru, I always mention and even love songs. Shemit Melke, the king's, you know, mm-hmm. the great king's names. And then I wrote songs like Kirsiat Melkuta. And people didn't know till Meso Night 2009 when they were reading the information and they're like, wow, she wrote Kirsiat Melkuta? How old were you? I was like, oh, 16. And then Nishrat Atur. I wrote it when I was 14. And um, of course, I produced them like two years later. And then here's Parchanita. Parchanita is a song about me. It's about me. I'm flying. No one can catch me. And they call me the runaway bride, whatever they want to call me, which I am so proud and honored. Um, I'm a diva that's get probably two, three divorces. <laughs> I'm blessed. And then, um, but it's my life. Because Wait, I'm you, talking you're about, blessed because you avoided all of that. Of course, okay. of course. And then, um, 
I'm pro-marriage, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. because I don't like to be, um, people look at me like girls, I want them to get married and have children. It's amazing. It's a blessing. But uh, for me, Parhanita, the butterfly, it, it's a um, symbolic way of my life. And then I'm flying. But she's saying, you know, the Garden of Eden and uh, so it's always, always right things that they're so relevant to Atra. And in the end, she's finding her Prince Charming in Atra. Like in the end, she knows she's going to find him in there. He's not here. He's not there. But the third verse, it's all about uniting herself with the one that she really loves. Um, and then there is Talubani Pop, a song I wrote that composed totally. It's about the names of kings. And then, you know, she's Nino, so Ubani Palo, Sargon, Ashur. They're all being mentioned, and it's a love song. So I, I don't see myself writing something most of the times that it has, um, it doesn't show how patriotic I am. I love my nation. I'm not a politician. I am a nationalistic and I'm humanitarian. And we see that. We see that when we, when we follow your story and follow your social media, even I'm seeing you're, you know, consistently promoting things to help the nation and help those who are struggling within the Assyrian ethnicity. So you mentioned this marriage thing and relationships and your love songs and you're not married. And that's one of those things when our, in our culture, of course, we're, we're very tribal and for good reasons. You know, marriage is sort of one of the litmus tests, one of the things you have to check off your list and kids and all that kind of stuff. So if there's an Assyrian woman out there who maybe hasn't met the right person, maybe who's listening to your love songs and is, and, you know, and it's guiding how how have you been able to kind of maneuver through that and and continue to produce the amazing work that you've produced and kind of be at one with yourself? Well, nowadays, a Syrian woman has changed from the time of my mom and mm-hmm. my grandparents and all that. So my grandmother, but um, and uh, I respect our career woman, but I always say. And a Syrian woman is not a Syrian unless she's really domestic. And my mom always gave us that advice. Shmat Abitun, beautiful, famous, educated, degrees, but you have to be a woman at home, mm. a wife, a mother. So no matter how successful a woman can be, she still has to be, she has to think about marriage, children, and uh and I admire and I envy people who have that life. A lot of people envy me and a lot of women come up to me, which I do not like. Say, don't ever get married. Mm. Don't ever look at them. I'm like, I wouldn't say that. I cannot be like saying, why are you saying that to me? Because I don't know what they have you know, struggled with and I don't know their life story. The grass I mean, is always greener. Absolutely. And I just... Um, they don't know what I've gone through, what I've suffered, what I struggled, what I've, what I still go through. And it's the hardest position that a woman can have, I think, in the whole entire world. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody has been fearless as strong as me because no record label, <laughs> no bodyguards where I've walked on. I'm, I'm very fearless and I'm strong and, um, that's the only thing I want a Syrian, a Syrian woman to look up to me, being strong, being dominant, being focused, being precise, loving myself to be able to love others and to be content for hmm. whatever God gives me. With that being said, your latest album, which helped me with the translation here, 
It's lelachtita. Um, lelachtita. Right? <laughs> it's Which, not a sin. It's not a sin. Okay, good. That was what I was going to make sure that I'm yeah, correct. Yeah. So when I first heard it, I thought of um, the Pet Shop Boys song, It's a Sin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Pet Shop Boys song, it's a response to the world that everything is a sin. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of making a, this is a sin and that's a sin and everything I've, my, my whole life has been a sin. It's sort of a, in some ways, um, sarcastic, I think is probably not using the right word there, but I feel like yours controversy, is, I would say, yeah, most likely the, but their song is about controversy. Yeah, my song is about, it's, I see so many mistakes mm. in marriages because I travel the world. I have musicians, I have sponsors, I have, you name it. I say, well, see, I see so many like sins, mm. true sins. Yeah. So when they talk about you and I being single and you're in a relationship with an Assyrian woman or someone you love, or I'm dating a guy and they try to nail us. And that's when I say, it's not a sin. Look at you being a mother. Look at you being a husband and you're mm-hmm. not loyal. You're mm-hmm. not being a good father. You're not mm-hmm. being a good mother. So love to every single person out there. Say it out loud. It's not a sin. It's not a sin. And I think in our community, there is this, oh, you, you're dating that person? <laughs> yeah. Or, or uh, no, that those two, they can't love each other. And, and I think the LGBT community and has been hit with this pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, just to hear you talk, yet yeah, one of the things is like, oh, he, that person's marrying an outsider or non-Assyrian. And I'm going to make a big deal about that while my own marriage might be failing. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, I mean, is when this latest album, are you tapping into that? Are you trying to, are you trying to speak to that? Yes. I mean, I'm talking about as long as I'm not hurting anyone and I am single, mm-hmm. don't talk about me. Mm-hmm. It's not a sin. Yeah. Because God created me to be loved and I can love back Mm -hmm. yeah and i have a lot of friends who are you know um heterosexual and you know bisexual i have no problem i mean they do my hair my makeup i'm not going to be able to misjudge them but there are people who are so straight Mm -hmm. and they are full of flaws unfortunately Mm -hmm. and it's like what have you delivered as a mother? What have you delivered right. as a wife? What mm-hmm. have you done? And in you as a father. And you see the cheating at all times. And I think that's when I said, you know, I'm going to write a song about Madison. <laughs> yeah. And as I'm listening to the album, especially that last song, what I'm hearing is Assyrians, we have to think differently. We have to go beyond our conventional, this is right, this is wrong. We have to open the door for... You know, someone who loves someone who maybe you don't think they should or date Mm. someone or Mm. whatever. I think within the Assyrian culture, there is we're shooting ourselves in the foot, for lack of better words, when we push marriage and we push marriage and family. And yet it also comes with, are you going to the same church? Do you believe the same exact Mm -hmm. things? What what village did they come from? (laughs) And uh, what is your aunt, aunt's cousin going to say? And, and there are a growing number of us who are saying, you know, maybe I don't want to be married or I don't want to be married until I find the person I want to be married to. Absolutely. And then also... Is that a sin? No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. You're so... You're so... It's fact and you're accurate. And then also, you know, Assyrians, they coming from Middle East, they always condemn a woman. 
like let's say if I would date a guy younger than I, it's a big sin, but it's not stated in the Bible. But if a guy, he's six years old and he's going to the third marriage mm-hmm. and he marries someone who is one third of his age, mm-hmm. oh no, that's okay. Right. He's a man. I didn't, God didn't define men and women being so like the man is, has an upper hand. He said, love each other equally. And I'm, you know, as long as someone doesn't date who is, I don't date someone who's 21, 16 years old, sure. for God's sake. Yeah. You know, someone who's mature, I mean, over 30 is fine. It's his choice. Yeah. So I don't like, and it's not only me, a lot of women, they would date younger men and they've been married to younger men. And I'm, they're like, we've been condemned. It's like, why is that? It's, this is, you know, Middle Eastern mentality. This is not, you know, we're, we've been raised in this country and we're accepting, you know, if, j-lo can go out with someone younger you know we accept that and then if linda george would date someone younger oh my god you know it's like okay i know my um my rules and regulations with god and i'm not like i said i'm probably i'm the biggest sinner on this planet but um i know what i do and i know what i've done and i'm God has blessed me more and more. The more people said in um, the gossip, the stories that they've made and fabricated, God gave me 10 times more. So, so there's a couple things there. Of course. One, within our culture, the way we view God is often like God is ready to strike you down if you know you go outside of God's will or if you make a mistake. And we don't really view God as sort of this loving parent who's watching his kids grow up and wants them mm-hmm. to like take a risk, try something they wouldn't, you know, and your career, you've been you've been taking risks nonstop. It's been you know, like I would say it was a little tiny but that blossomed throughout the three some decades. Mm-hmm. And that shows that God was with me. Mm-hmm. I while you were taking risks, yeah, taking and, risks and so many and people right. might have looked and said, why is Linda doing this? Or why is Linda doing that? Or who is she seeing? Or Yeah. And you know, being a man is kind of like, they throw less stones right. at you. But right. being a woman, like I'm telling you, I, this is the hardest thing. This is the hardest yeah. career anyone can face in the whole white world. Mm-hmm. And I've done it. Like I've, I've earned it's it. It's a male dominated culture and you are a woman who... You've made it to the top of your field. I sure did. You know, I mean, being also um, not only among the Assyrians, like when I made it to the Esquire magazine representing Mm -hmm. Iraq, of course, because we don't have a country. Mm -hmm. Even that, they kind of, why did you say Iraq? I didn't even choose myself, for God's sake. (laughs) I didn't call Esquire and say, can you make me the sexiest woman alive? I didn't even know about it. A friend from church texted me and I thought he was mocking. And my niece opened the text and was like, can you check? Because mm-hmm. he, he could be mocking. Like he could be have, joking about it. But Iraq is, is a country. We don't have a country. So therefore they chose me to represent Iraq. And I was among all these women, beautiful women around the world. But 95% of Assyrian nation, the Chaldeans, the Syriac, they love me. And that 5%, they cannot do damage to me. So they just better quit. They, they, it's beyond. Like the love I'm getting from, from my fans in regards to this album, it's like emails, uh, private letters to my management, my niece. It's like we're so overwhelmed. Yeah. I'm so thankful. So if 95% of 
Assyrian population is building a wall and there's five people, they're going to destruct it. Still, people do remember the wall. Well, and I think that for you, it's especially painful for Assyrian artists because you don't have the engine, you don't have the motor, you don't have the structure pushing forward what you've really done. Yes. There was, you know, moving from the old country to the United States and then doing what you've done, it's not like you signed with the record label that had all Thank the resources. You. You, Thank you. Yeah. You know, they, they always compare us, oh my God, look at this dreadful video clip. Who do you think? Who do we? No, I've, I've looked at a lot of your YouTubes and I'm, I'm just so proud. From, you know, we create, Steve, we create things. We create, we produce without, from nothing. Mm. Like a dead wall, we're creating things. We, we come up with ideas. Now, if we had more money, if we had a record label, even Persians, they don't have the country for their singers to be able to produce, but they have record label. Mm -hmm. Every every language, every um, you know community has a label. Mm -hmm. And versus us, we have nothing, but yet we maintained and we produced. So they should be thankful. <laughs> we are thankful. I think the great majority are, and you know all these criticism. The day in, the day out, uh, the genres changing, the technology coming, the Facebook, the social media, the we're going from records to tapes to CDs to back to records again, MP3, Spotify. You're on Spotify now, mm -hmm. um, so we need to, as the Assyrian nation, you know, focus on those people who have continued to work hard throughout all that, and you're one of those people. Um, and I wanted to end with a couple questions, light, fun questions. Um, who are the non-Assyrian, like who does Linda George listen to when she's driving down the street or who, who's on your playlist? Um, I listen to Greek music. I really do. Uh, I love Josh Groban. Uh, good old tracks from Whitney Houston at times I listen to. Mariah Carey. Um um, Kathum, Gugush, Feruz is my, these, I love, I love vocalists. I am about a, a voice that has wide range and the more a woman, not screams, but she has a big wide range to, you know, um, sing. Mm -hmm. I'm so intrigued by that. So um, that's, and I listen to my music, of course, when I'm running my Five and miles. you're a runner, right? You love running? Five miles in 60 minutes, yeah. Not bad for my age. <laughs> I'm so thankful that I've been able to have this time with you just to see you in a different light. And, you know, again, household name. We see you at the concert singing. And, of course, that's not the time to say, oh, Linda, how are you? You know, what's new? So thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me. And I hope we can do it again in the future. And here and, and keep some of these conversations going because I know there were so many things we just scratched the surface on. Oh, it's amazing. It's great to be here. This is something that um, every young Assyrian and worldwide can listen to and enjoy um, to get to know us in a different level mm -hmm. rather than the traditional interview. Mm -hmm. And a lot of Assyrians don't speak Assyrian sometimes, unfortunately, or they are different dialect than ours. Right. So they need to listen to um, an English version of, you know, the interview that we normally, you know, be, we're always being interviewed in Assyrian. But yeah. if there's a Western 
you know, a Kaldaya from Turkey understand. or Western yeah. from Tur Abdin, they don't understand, they have the right to know. And English is, you know, is a language that everyone can listen and understand mostly. And like I said, you know, Indians have a big, it's a, they have a big country, big population, but they still do a lot of interviews in English because they're focused on, you know, the fans in the diaspora. So that's what we're doing right now, Steve. And I'm very thankful, very blessed. Thank you so much again for being here. And we'll definitely catch up with you again the next time we're in the same place. Can we God. close with a high five? <laughs> God willing. Yeah. Thanks.